Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I came home from school the fourth week of my fourth grade year, and I announced to my parents that Ms. Cummings was the best teacher ever. I loved Ms. Cummings. She was awesome. She always called on me when I had my hand up, and, and when I got the answer right, which, of course, was all the time, she praised me and made me feel so good. She invited me down to the front of the classroom to do math problems on the chalkboard, and she had the class clap for me, and it just made me feel real special. She, she trusted me. She, she sent me down to the, the office supply room to, to bring back certain supplies. She sent me to the principal's office with important notes to be passed to the principal or his secretary. It, it just felt great. I thought we were best buddies. Three weeks later, I came home and I announced to my parents, I hate Ms. Cummings. She's the worst teacher ever. Something had changed. Obviously, it was her. (laughs) Although, to be fair, in the intervening period, I had grown tired of raising my hand all the time, and I figured, you know, it's right anyway. I might as well just blurt out the answer when it comes to mind. She apparently didn't take too kindly to that. When I finished my assignments early, I'd just kind of get up and walk around the room and do whatever I felt like, and apparently the other students found that distracting. And since she trusted me to, you know, go to the copy machine room and bring back important things, then she must trust me to get up and go use the restroom whenever I felt like, even without asking permission. And if I happened to stop at the library on the way back and read a couple of comic books, well, what's the big deal? I got in trouble somehow. Nobody can remember why, but I was sent down to the principal's office, not with an important note, but instead to sit there with my head on the desk, my eyes closed, and heavy headphones on my ears, a kind of elementary school version of solitary confinement. Ms. Cummings and I were not on the same wavelength anymore. I thought about... Ms. Cummings this last week as I pondered how and what to preach in the wake of some very significant weeks in our nation's history. I was a little disappointed not to be here last Sunday. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was on vacation and it was awesome and I was very glad to be there, but I was a little disappointed not to have the opportunity to preach just two days after a monumental decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, a decision that has profound impact on many, many people who are very dear to me, friends, colleagues, parishioners, people in my own family. And then as I pondered a little more, I realized that it probably was a good thing that I wasn't here last week, still riding high from what I believe to be a a really good decision by the court, I was likely to stand up with my chest puffed out in pride and, and thank God for the decision of the court, to thank God for the court itself and all of their wisdom, to be thankful for all of the hard work of the activists and lawyers who, who brought us to that day, that day when I believe we took a, a major step forward as a country living into our creed, that indeed all people are endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights, the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, And to do so, I realize, would have been 
misguided. Now, I want to be very clear why. It would have been misguided to to simply thank the court and celebrate their decision last week, not because I'm aware that we are not all of one mind on this particular question of history. I am fully aware that in in the Christian church at large, in our denomination, and, and even in this congregation, we are not all on the same page as regards issues of marriage, equality, family, sexuality. And yet, I believe with every fiber of my being that it is God's will that all children of God are created in the image of a loving creator, called into relationship, and their lives and their families are to be regarded with respect and dignity and love. That is who we are. Now, I I understand that we don't all agree with that, but, but this congregation for many, many years has welcomed and celebrated the participation of all kinds of people and all kinds of families. And for that, I am very grateful. If you're looking for a place where we are equivocal or hedging or hesitant about our welcome, where we say, eh, yeah, everybody's sort of welcome, just keep it to yourself. Or if you're looking for downright judgment or condemnation or exclusion of others, well, unfortunately, there are literally thousands of churches that are just for you. But in this place, all are welcome. And we make no apologies for that. It also would have been misguided to celebrate the court last week. Not because the church shouldn't meddle in politics. Now hear me out. I understand that that questions of political nature can be tricky and complicated, that there is a lot of caution that must be employed when the church talks about tough stuff. And yet, we believe in a God who actively is engaged in the real life of real people, in the real world. Just read again that beautiful psalm we just heard. Who is this God whom we give thanks and praise to? It is a God who executes justice for the oppressed, who feeds the hungry, who sets the prisoner free, who who watches over the stranger and welcomes and lifts up and cares for the widows and the orphans. That's the God we serve and in whose image we are made. I find it inconceivable that we would gather week after week after week at this table where all are welcome and all are fed, and not believe that it is our baptismal vocation, our calling, when we leave this place to spend the rest of the seven days of this week working for a world in which all are welcome and all are fed. Now, that doesn't mean that that there's one right program or party or policy by which that that task can be done, But, but folks, we are called, called to share our faith and to live our faith and values in the world following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's tricky, but it is important. No, the reason that it would be misguided to simply celebrate the court and their decision on June 26th is simply this. The court giveth, and the court taketh away. 
What I mean by that is the Supreme Court, as vaulted and wonderful as they might be, are human beings, a human institution. Just like you, just like me, just like Ms. Cummings, just like fourth grade Jay, just like 36-year-old Jay, just like your mom, your spouse, your child, your co-worker, capable of doing wonderful things, and then the next day, really disappointing you. Because that's who we are. Broken and fallible people. That court, not those particular nine people, but their beautiful robes, the chairs, and the nice building in which they sit, they gave us, in my opinion, a a wonderful decision on June 26th. And then 60 years ago, they gave us Brown versus the Board of Education, which desegregated public schools. I think that was a good idea. A few years before that, of course, they gave us Plessy versus Ferguson, which enshrined the very principles of segregation into the laws of the land. And not long before that, they gave us Dred Scott, which sanctified race-based slavery as a constitutional institution in this country. The court giveth, and the court taketh away. And the same is true for all of us. This is so important, I believe, especially as we are engaged in this interminable election season, where for the next however many months, we're going to be told by, what, like 400 candidates at this point? Trust me. I don't care how you feel about him, folks, but I'm sorry. Donald Trump will, at some point, disappoint you. So will Bernie. So will Hillary. So will Jeb, or whoever your favorite horse is in this race. So will your spouse. So will our current president. So did the last one. Do not the psalmist says, do not put your trust in princes or in mortals. For when they die, their breath dies with them, and so also all of their plans. Do not put your trust in princes or mortals, but rather put your trust in the one who created the heavens and the earth and the seas, the one who holds the past, the present, and the future in gracious hands, the one who keeps faith forever, the one who will be there always when everything else and everyone else falls apart, when your spouse disappoints you, when the court makes a decision that you don't agree with, when the president fails to be who he or she promised to be. God is trustworthy still. And indeed, God is the only one in whom we can place our trust. My spiritual director has been trying to pound into my head a mantra for the last few years. She says, trust God, love people, and don't confuse the two. Trust God, love people. Don't confuse the two. As we've learned over the last few weeks, as we've dug into the Psalms, 
There are times in the life of faith, there are times in the history of God's faithful people in which our feelings for God are not all warm and fuzzy, where love is not the first word that comes to mind, where we are angry, where we are doubtful, where we are shaking our fists, where we are complaining, where we are impatient, where we are whatever, fill in the blank. And yet, and yet, God is trustworthy. God sees a future that we cannot at this point comprehend. And we trust that the one who makes promises, the one who has said that God will not rest until the oppressed are raised up, until the hungry are fed, until the strangers are welcomed, this God is indeed trustworthy. The the arc of the moral universe is indeed quite long, but it does bend towards justice. And it is God who holds that future in God's hands. We are privileged, called, challenged, blessed to participate. But this is God's promised future. And we can trust this God, for this God has proven God's self to be trustworthy and true. And here's the gift, is that when we can place our trust in God, and in God alone, then we are free to truly love our neighbors. You see, love is different from trust. Love acknowledges that that this person who has been given to me to love can today thrill me and do everything that I believe she should do and then tomorrow make me want to change the locks. But I love this person. I love this country. I love the people with whom I am privileged to serve. And yes, I even love my Christian neighbors who see things so radically differently that I sometimes don't even recognize them. But I understand that I will disappoint them and they will disappoint me. And somehow, together, when all is said and done, God will still be in charge. And the future will still belong to God. Being able to trust God and God alone frees us from having far too unrealistic expectations of ourselves and our neighbors. It frees us to be humble and forgiving in the life of faith and in the life of living in the world as it is. Because we know, we know that Ms. Cummings is going to really mess up. And I might too. And yet, And yet, both of us still belong to the one who keeps faith forever. The one who made her and me, who made you and them. The one who gave us all of these beautiful and broken people to love, to work with, to share this broken journey with. Trusting that when all is said and done, God and God alone will make all things right. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.